When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Altergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. When we last left our hero, he had just ventured out in search of his chief constable, whom he has not yet met, and who has failed to turn up for their appointment at the Five Keys pub. We rejoin him in the afterglow of a much-delayed, but evidently well-earned lunch. This is Day Three, Part Two. Frighted with False Fires It is the third day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is just before two o'clock in the afternoon, in a window banquette at the Colonial Independent Mercantile and Tea Room. We begin. Mmm. Wonderful thing, a sandwich. Mmm. And you know what's better than a sandwich? A basket of sandwiches. Grilled tempeh with house-made chutney and a dab of that grainy sort of mustard that stays in your teeth. Mmm. Your fears of old Pate's death or departure were unfounded. Back at his post, and at the top of his hash-slinging form. He really is a marvel. Not a marvel of the modern age, mind you. You're pretty sure he's been here since before the paint dried on Coal Inn Merck and Tea Room, Est 1839. It's quite extraordinary, really. There's an institutional profundity to old Pate's oldness, 
as if the Society of Preservationists has rejected his application for a permit to die. He may be bald, and he may be jowly, but he's no balder or jowlier than you remember him from a decade and a half ago. And he still makes a dashed fine sandwich. <sighs> Anyhow, on to business. You've an hour before you've got to be at Gambrel, and much to relate. Get scribbling. Right. So, after getting stood up by C.C. Standish, you left the Keys and meandered up Grope Lane in the warm winter sunshine, Chesterfield over one arm, and phone held high to hail a passing signal. Not a bit of good. The E.M. spectrum hereabouts must be total gridlock, or else Altergate exists at some awkward confluence of ley lines. Or perhaps your phone's busted, you have been throwing yourself about. Poor Selly may not share your iron constitution. Anyhow, when you reached the high street, some atavistic impulse turned your steps the old familiar way. There you were, headed up Lamp Street as if you'd never left at all. Why not, eh? After all, if you're going to wander down memory lane, you may as well do the thing properly. And so you would have done. You made it round the first bend without succumbing to an overdose of nostalgia. It would probably have carried on all the way to Hobson Mews. Just... just to see, eh? At the very least, you'd have stopped in at Kibabylon, assuming it's still in biz. Is it, do you think? Surely. Unless the loss of the Bofax revenue was a mortal blow to the top line. That's a question for another day, however, because you were just leaning into the second turn when you were nearly splattered across the ancestral cobbles. Well, perhaps not splattered. Baz has generously offered to lend you her car whenever you want it, but now that you've met the machine in question, you suspect that you and Baz hold very different ideas in re what is and what is not an automobile. The distinction between the lemon-coloured relied robin that stopped just shy of your shins and, say, an antique sewing machine is essentially a semantic one. Baz cranked a window and popped her head out. Adrian, jump in, won't you? Hurry, there's a fire at the theatre. Stirring words. Of course, one does not simply jump into a three-wheeler that remembers the Thatcher administration, but you manage to fold yourself into the passenger seat without capsizing the vessel. Baz spurred her wheezing steed back the way you had come, and was just starting to dish up the news when you were broadsided by a banshee wail that reduced vehicle and passengers to a rattling custard. You and Baz had made the mistake of trying to share the road with the flagship of the Altergate Emergency Response Fleet. Your first thought, once your brain stopped bleeding, was that you were going to hunt down the driver of the great white articulated whale that had sailed past in a glitter of red and blue LEDs. You would find them, and you would do something dreadful. Baz, the creep, was gazing after the monster like a proud mother. Oh, isn't it marvellous? 
she revived the Robin's engine and set off down the high street in pursuit. The partnership between Bucky and Dub Three has been incredible. Gemspat's four years old now, and of course the Valk is all anybody wants to talk about, but I still think it's grand. Ah. Quick footnote. Bucky, of course, is Buckminster College, home of the Buckminster Nanofab. Dub 3, or W3, is Weatherby 3, the part of the Weatherby Medical Center complex that houses clinical engineering and medical science. Oh, and Gemsplat is the General Emergency Modular Systems Platform to its friends, if it has them, which it doesn't, apart from Baz. The Valk now. Well, more on that in a moment. Anyhow. To Baz's gushings, you said nothing, merely snorted. The beastly thing streaked onwards towards University Place, liquefying the central nervous systems of a few more innocent civilians along the way. Reaching King's Common, it mounted the curb and tore across the grass, towards the misshapen offspring of old Lady Vestergaard's bequest. The Reliant made a heroic attempt to follow in its hero's treadmarks, but in the end you and Baz had to get out and lift its nose up onto the pavement. All the while, Baz rattled on about mobile operating theatres and pop-up radiology labs. For today's adventure, Mr. Gemsplat was geared up for firefighting. No level 4 pressurized biohazard lab, just a 4,000-gallon water tank, and a clown car full of Aldergate's volunteer superheroes. You watch them erupt from the belly of the beast and dash about with ferocious singularity of purpose. Hut two, hut two, splice the main brace, throw open the switches on the sonic oscillator, keelhaul the bosun. Last out of the box came the structural entry team, their helmets already secure, vermilion armor gleaming with silver reflector panels. They strode majestically towards the scene of the disaster, only to find that they'd arrived late to the party. The Valk had already landed. And, well, who ever loved who loved not at first sight, eh? Baz may feel bound to boost all her children equally, but you are a player of favorites. When it comes to the fruits of the engineering partnership between Buckminster College and Weatherby Three, you'll take the Valk. It's obviously a prototype. When they're ready for general production, Mount Sinai will probably order theirs without the pin-up shield maiden on the flank. Shame. Without Valerie, the thing just looks like a big white toaster, with its eight rotors folded away neatly up top like a napping octopus. Ah, you haven't seen her airborne yet, but you already know that you want one. Anyhow, back to the emergency. This morning, when you first noticed the new inhabitant of King's Common, you thought it was like nothing you had ever seen before. Coming back to it a few hours later, it was like nothing you had ever seen before yet again. It had been a sleekish sort of gherkin shape. 
By the time you and Baz rolled up, it had puffed itself out into a knobbly crystalline jumble atop its three great legs. Very odd, but terribly impressive and fascinating to watch. Still not sure you'd have paid north of four bill for it, but apparently it's only one half of the Vestergaard bequest. The other half lies beneath. Above ground, the living geodesic colossus goes by the name of the Parata Dynamic Gallery. You'd quite like to pay it a visit. Could even poke about after hours, since Baz says she's got you set up in the system for all the Aldergate facilities that use biometrics. Yes, that could be fun. But you may want to go at a time when Parata is not quite so active as it was this afternoon. No doubt it's got to stand still when there are people inside, but during the evacuation it was free to let itself go a bit. You watched as it folded and unfolded its triangular paned skin in a sort of balletic origami. Dizzying. <laughs> to think, you remember when all this was grass and monoliths. Not that the grass and monoliths have gone anywhere. You had a look at Parata's Wikipedia page and found the following words attributed to a Mr. Lester Kang, secretary of the Aldergate University Society of Preservationists. Ahem. At no time was there any possibility of compromising the enduring treasure that is the historical bounty of Aldergate University. Thanks to the architectural genius of Evangelista Cordoba, the tall king shall continue to hold court just as he has for the past 4,000 years. Lester Kang sounds like he may have a lot in common with the tall king, which is a massive phallus. Fourteen feet of rough-hewn porphyry, four foot on a side. The true origins of the great standing stone have been thoroughly lost in the mists of time, and the speculation gets pretty fruity but you'd have been sad to find he'd been evicted. To placate the preservationists, Cordoba turned the old chap into the world's most expensive sandwich. Above ground, Parata's belly hangs thirty feet above the ancient sod. Beneath his stony majesty's toes lies the Aldergate Playhouse. So, yes, now you know all about the Aldergate Playhouse. A 1,200-seat underground auditorium, fully equipped with simply the latest thing in theatrical things. All right, you're no expert, but the key points are these. Big theater, deep underground. Interesting idea, and sidesteps Aldergate's eternal real estate crisis. But, of course, it's about the last place where you'd want a fire. Ah, yes. The fire. <laughs> Where there's fire, there must be smoke. Where there's smoke, there must be photoelectric sensors to detect it. Where there are sensors, there must be an integrated network to relay their grievances to the Enterprise Data Management System, so that the bells can ring, and the sirens can sound, and the first responders can respond. And, where there's an EDMS for an operation the size of Aldergate, 
there must be a prat like Baz. Ah, from here to eternity, the same old game. Data versus information. And in that battle between what we know and what we understand, Baz is a conscientious objector. Always has been. She wants it all, and she wants it all connected up, to itself and, most especially, to her. And she's gotten her way, at least as far as Altergate is concerned. Baznet, all-seeing, if not quite all-knowing. She lacks your healthy skittishness regarding open Wi-Fi, and her phone is a machine-gun newsfeed of budget reports and press releases and gas bills and weather alerts and every single call taken by university emergency services. Naturally, with such a firehose of facts aimed at her eyeballs, you couldn't ask Baz to notice a little thing like the world around her. It seemed pretty plain, to you at any rate, that the great fire of the Aldergate Playhouse wasn't amounting to much. Stepping into Parata's shadow, you saw that the helmeted flame warriors had congregated around a girl in a white coverall, with a respirator hanging around her neck. She looked half bored, half apologetic, and seemed to be giving the troops whatever's the opposite of a pep talk. Baz did not notice. Baz breezed past like a one-woman light brigade, and, before you could get hold of her elbow, dove into the mouth of Hades. Yes, the Aldergate Playhouse is a strange twin to the Parata Dynamic Gallery. While the latter looms, glittering and alien, the former doesn't even poke its nose up above ground level. And yet, in its own way, the entrance to the playhouse is bold in its design. Wonderfully bold, exquisitely conceived, and faultlessly executed. It's won awards, Baz says, from the people who give out awards for that sort of thing. And you know, it really does capture the essential essence of uh, the big hole in the ground. Yes. Where the grass ends, the weathered stone begins. Unnatural in its naturalness, it looks for all the world like a grand old grotto, a rocky moor gaping to swallow innocent theatergoers. There are people, Kirk Bryce springs to mind, who consider the day wasted if they haven't repelled into some remote abyss or flung themselves into a crevasse with a camera strapped to their heads. Of course, caves don't bother you, and you don't bother them, and everyone's happy. Left to yourself, you'd have cheerfully given the Aldergate Playhouse a miss. However, your pride was already tottering with the fear that these lissom young lifesavers had seen you getting out of Baz's banana-mobile. So, into the pit you plunged. You trotted down a spill of incidental crags, which gave up the pretense and became shallow steps once you were safely inside the gullet. Down you went, the tunnel curving in a broad descending spiral. Baz shimmered prettily in the ambient glow, shifting colors as she went. The walls are living limestone, or look it, but threaded with what must be thousands of miles of optical fibers. Down and down and down, 
You found yourself getting a bit tight in the old hamstrings, and were just wondering how the playhouse had tackled the issue of access when the answer glided into view. A serious-looking young woman, queenly in a cloche cap and leaning on a pair of canes, came round the bend aboard a sort of platform thing. This magic carpet swept past Baz on the port side, cut gracefully round you to starboard, and sailed onwards and upwards without missing a beat. Baz paused to wait whilst you watched the thing and its passenger out of sight. "'Clever, aren't they?' she said. She tapped the stairs with a kitten heel. You had noticed the track before, but had thought it was just decoration. Not groove, but grooves. Bronze-lined fissures like veins in the stone, slicing the stairs into a sort of Celtic knotwork. Limitless pathing options for the playhouse's people-mover. "'We did it all in-house,' Baz continued, smirking as though she'd invented the thing. "'Bray College took on most of the design, and Lytton did the proprioceptive network. "'This whole place is chock-a-block with sensors, optical and pressure and all sorts. "'It can calculate speed and trajectory like a NASA ground crew. "'Safe as houses, and good fun as well. "'There wasn't one waiting at the top, but we can ride on the way back up, if you like.' "'Yes. Anyhow, that was that for the tunnel.' The way opened out into a cylindrical atrium, around which the stairs finished their helical descent. As you swung around, you got a good view of the big curtained archway at the bottom, portal, one presumes, to the theatre itself. That arch is framed by the outstretched arms of a great faceless man. Not faceless like Mr. Jellyface. If you saw Archway Man on the street, you'd definitely remember him, vividly and in detail. That's a thought. Have you seen Jellyface in Aldergate yet? Not that you recall. But then the whole point of him seems to be that he can't ever quite be seen, not properly. And when you try, you end up on walkabout. Which you haven't done yet. So that's something. Anyhow, this faceless man is just a big chap without a face. Or chapette, or none of the above. No need to go assigning roles. <laughs> After all, that's the whole point of going about faceless, isn't it? The blank carved stone head and shoulders lean out from the wall above the archway, and tireless carved arms sweep down to eternally clutching hands. In each hand, a mask. Comedy and tragedy. Thalia and Melpomene. The sacred and the profane. Huh. <sighs> Where were you? Yes, out of the tunnel and into the atrium. Baz slackened her pace and cleared her throat. Ah, that's a relief. The chandelier seems okay. Gambrel did that for us, and I won't say I didn't have my doubts. <laughs> oh. That's another thing you'll have to remember as you ease yourself into university politics. It's rare that the university can agree to get together on a project, but when it does, everybody wants a piece. Bragging rights. Chance to show off whatever a college's rising stars are up to before they scatter to pursue their own agendas. Understandable, of course, but it's the sort of thing that needs cautious handling. Otherwise, 
Well, you can't help sharing Baz's skepticism of the playhouse's chandelier. It is beautiful, certainly. Positively splendid. A radiant golden crown of captive plasma, floating peacefully in an open-air vacuum. Perfectly safe, as long as nothing interrupts the electromagnetic envelope that separates that sinfully scintillant cloud of N2 ions from the punters below. Let's just hope the playhouse is wired better than the manse. Beneath that sidereal fire, the stairs spill into a milling-about area. Busy day at the playhouse. But instead of your typical pack of ticket-holders getting their champagne and ice-creams, the mob was mostly students of two distinct species. A flock of speckled standabouts chattering in clusters, ruffling their paint-splattered and sawdusty plumage. All the while, the black-bodied warriors darted hither and thither, squawking into headsets. Baz led the way through the crush. She sidestepped a pair of lasses in Ricker's harnesses, and juked the chubby chap who was yelling at them, his tablet raised like Moses on the mountain. Nipping and darting, she made her way through to the center of the hubbub, and took charge. Standish? Uh, do get back, all of you. Standish, you all right? What's going on? Ground Zero of the kerfuffle turned out to be a thin chap of uncertain age, with a basil forty moustache. He was seated on a folding chair with one of those reflective blankets draped around his shoulders, and a pair of EMTs prodding at him. He looked pretty droopy. Not ill or injured, just fed up with the whole situation. When Baz burst upon the scene, he seemed to welcome the interruption, shooting to his feet like a jack-in-the-box. "'Miss Folks, ma'am,' the fellow leapt to attention, then swayed ponderously. "'You could have told him it's no good jumping up like that. Got to give the old circulatory system a bit of notice.' For a moment he looked about to go right back down again, but through a grand effort of will he stabilized, merely shuffling back a half-step and sagging somewhat at the knees. "'I'm sorry about the disturbance. I... He gestured vaguely. The blanket, which had become a dashing sort of cape, slipped from his shoulders to reveal the old blackened buttons. Then, of course, you realized who he was. There may be any number of standishes lurking about Aldergate, but the one with silver crescents on his epaulets could only be the grand capo and sole member of your own private brute squad, not to mention the chap you'd been waiting for in the Five Keys all day. You regarded him with some concern. He hath a lean and hungry look, does this C.C. Standish. Not much color in his face, apart from what you might call hectic spots on the cheekbones. The strings in his jaw have a way of leaping to the surface. Rather a strained look about him, all in all. You couldn't help feeling for the chap. He'd clearly been through the ringer, and now he had an agitated Baz to placate. I'm fine, ma'am. Really, there's... Standish trailed off to nod to his ministering angels as they gave up on him and legged it. 
No need to worry. Nothing hurt but my pride. No call for all this fuss, really. There's nothing... Again, he trailed off. And it was at this juncture that the tablet bloke, who had been shouting at the techies, decided to parachute onto this new battlefield and do some shouting at Standish instead. Nothing? You could have been killed! Tablet pivoted so that you and Baz would feel included in the conversation. He could have been killed. Somebody is going to be killed. I've said it a thousand times. This is why the Gundys have one operator at a time, right? Those are the rules. If people start moving... He glared over his shoulder at the two techies. One threw up her hands and stormed off. The other, a rangy gal with a luxuriant head of the pinkest hair you ever saw, advanced to join the fray. Tablet carried on, undeterred. If people start moving set around without clearing it through me. Nobody move the effing Gandhi. Pink hair pulled a handheld from one of the pouches on her harness. Here, see? Look. She stabbed furiously at the screen. Config front. One through five, default. We've got live sets on ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Nothing on eight. Nobody on the... Um... Ah, yes. Quick diarist's note. This was the first time I actually heard someone say the title of the performance, which up to this point I've just been calling Squiggle. Yeah, I think I'm going to keep on calling it that. It probably doesn't matter, but probably isn't certainly... And, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? So, anyhow. <clears throat> Nobody on the Squiggle team was doing anything with Gandhi number eight. Tell that to him. Tablet bloke waved a lordly hand under the beaky but otherwise unoffending nose of C.C. Standish. Tell that to him. You were stuck there for how long? Two hours? The finger swung accusingly towards Pinky. Standish shuffled his feet. He seemed uncertain of where exactly he stood in the chain of command, in re whatever it was that had happened to him. Almost two hours. Because you think you own this place. Well, let me tell you something. I have two other productions running right now. Do you understand? You don't open for a month. Almost a month. They may have given you the run of the playhouse, but if you can't respect... Yes? He broke off and clapped a hand to his ear. What? You are joking. Tell me you are joking. He looked at Baz pleadingly, as if begging her to witness a good man's suffering. Then, with a final snarl at Pinky, he spun and made a dash for the big curtained archway. The prosecution having rested, Pinky made her appeal to the bench. It wasn't anyone on Squiggle, honestly. Don't I just wish, but Antigone's got number eight for two more effing weeks. And we can't strike for three days after that because Pogo... She glared after her accuser. Pogo said they could come back and shoot real for that promo thing, because that gives us plenty of time to break down the Cadmian effing palace, right? And then build Mal's big effing mystery set for Act Three in time for Tech Week. 
She huffed and pushed a hank of candy floss mane out of her eyes. Then, to Standish, Gandhi 8 should have stayed on the rehearsal level. I can't think who would have moved it. I'm really sorry you got hung up down there. I really am. But honestly, it wasn't anything to do with the Squiggle crew. Why didn't you just fly out? Was the Gandhi busted? Now, at this point, you still hadn't the foggiest idea of what was going on, except that it had endangered your chief constable, and maybe had something to do with Gandhi. Standish did not seem to have caught much more of her drift than you had. Pinky, however, seemed to take his silence for assent, and set to grumbling over her handheld. If eight's down, you can bet your ass that Pogo's going to take ten away from us for the Antigone matinee tomorrow, she groused. So unless they get eleven back up, we'll have to activate seventeen, and I don't think it's even got the floor built yet. She looked around, and produced a handset from another pouch. This is Todd. Has anybody got eyes on seventeen? At this point, you and Baz closed ranks for a more intimate tete-a-tete-a-tete with Standish. Baz gave the survivor a hearty chuck on the shoulder. Sounds like you've been in the wars. What happened? Standish quivered. For a moment his hands trembled like aspen leaves. Your sympathy for the fellow deepened. He must, you thought, have had a terribly close shave. He reached into his pocket and conjured a pack of Pall Mall Super Kings. Then, remembering himself, vanished them again with a little sigh. It's nothing, ma'am, really. Just bad luck, he said. Wrong place at the wrong time. My own fault. Fools rush in. With a wave, he invited you to supply the rest of the sentence. But what was it? Baz cast a glance up at the chandelier, as if it embodied all that could go disastrously wrong at the Aldergate Playhouse. I know that Dr. Vasquez is anxious to see an original piece staged here, and Miss Gray is a very convincing young lady, but there comes a time when common sense has to take precedence over artistic ambition. Well, Standish could see that he wasn't getting out of this without spilling at least a handful of whatever beans he'd got stockpiled. No, no, ma'am. I'm sure it was my own mistake entirely. Must have hit a button or something. This place. He sighed once more. Had never been down here before. Was hoping to speak with a student, a possible witness to... He trailed off with a gesture. Had reason to believe he might be working here. Didn't see anybody about on the rehearsal level, but but everything was set up, and I thought, why not have a look round? Then, next thing I knew, the piece of stage I'm standing on started sinking. Took me right down to the... Gesture. Shrug. It was just that one bit of stage went down, so there was nothing either side of me. No floor, just a sort of frame. Looked about thirty foot drop to the ground, and I didn't fancy taking the risk, so... Again, he gestured. This Standish has a sort of Ikea philosophy of communication. His sentences are all right, but you've got to finish them for yourself. 
Baz registered sympathy. How dreadful. I said it before, this whole setup is just... I know Vasquez is mad about the thing, but I call it a death trap. I can't think how it got through approvals. Baz chewed a thumbnail. The poor thing will go to her grave without accepting that innovation must needs outpace regulation. But they've got local controls, surely. On the gondolas themselves? Couldn't you control the bit you were on, make it go back up? Standish presented his palms in surrender. Suppose someone could have, ma'am, but I... Shrug. You think there's panels on the ends, but you see the stage was all set up, and I'd castle walls on either side of me. Couldn't get round them, and didn't get to try climbing over, so I was more or less... Again, he trailed off. You stepped into the breach. It compressed in darksome durance in an eyeless vault, eh? You offered. Baz tried to kill you with her eyes, but Standish actually chuckled. Yes, suppose so. Not quite so bad when the vault's just painted polystyrene. Could probably have bashed my way through if I'd had to, but I figured someone would notice they'd lost a piece of stage and go looking for it eventually. I waited about, and after a while I... He briefly resummoned the Super Kings. Next thing I know, every alarm in the place is going off. Suppose I... Gesture. You got more rescue than you bargained for. You could say that. The chap managed a sheepish smile. Then protocol took over. Chin up, shoulders back, forearm out perpendicular to the torso. Pardon my manners, I don't believe we've... <laughs> There's a novelty, eh, self? Not every day you meet someone who doesn't already know to whom they are a speak. Not that yours is a household name, precisely. Loads of people don't know who you are. You just don't generally meet them. So you introduced yourself, and almost finished off poor Standish in the process. You thought he'd been standing at attention before. He now stiffened into something upon which a frozen viper might look with envy. Sir Adrian, pleasure to meet you, sir. I apologize for this afternoon. I was... Well, you shook his hand, and he yours. It was quite a good handshake, as these things go. Firm and dry, grip and release well-timed. At its conclusion, however, Standish let his hand drop to his side with an odd sort of abruptness, and he trembled for a moment in a way that prompted you to make a spectacular ass of yourself. <sighs> and you'd been doing so well, too. You'd clapped him on the back, masterful yet down-to-earth. We'd better get you to the keys, toot sweet, you declared, trying to channel Sir Reggie, chumminess oozing from your every pore. Dangling over abysses can't be good for the old nerves. Let's get you a glass of something to chase the shakes away. Uh. Well, give Standish credit for his tactfulness. 
Wouldn't want to waste more of your time, sir. Besides, I'm on a new course of medicine that doesn't mix well with alcohol. He cocked his fingers into a pistol, tucked it under his left ear, and fired it through his substantia nigra. He smiled. Parkinson's. I'm what you might call an early adopter. First one of my mates to get an iPad, too. Still, gave me an excuse to drop the tennis lessons. And I must apologize again, but while we're on the topic, I have got an appointment at Weatherby in half an hour. Perhaps, if it's convenient, sir, we could meet at Gambrel College around three o'clock. I owe you a briefing, and I'd be glad to walk you through the scene of the recent... Gesture. Yes, of course, mustn't forget that. The recent... You rather wish he'd finished that particular thought. You'd like to know what he really thinks of the whole Sammy affair. The recent unpleasantness? Tragedy? Outrage? Hard to say. Well, you can ask him yourself, can't you? And, hark, that's the warden bells. Three quarters. You'd best be off or you'll miss the crime scene. Well then, good news all round, eh? The Aldergate Playhouse is not on fire, for the moment at least, and Chief Constable Standish has been found. We now return to our regularly scheduled murder mystery, what awaits our hero at Gambrel College? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealdergatepapers.com. Find The Aldergate Papers on iTunes as well, and spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time... I am, and shall remain, your humble servant, Adrian Ward. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy with Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio. Or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.